This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on 365 Sports, Sikkim365.com. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, also radio host, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer. You can check out his musings on the website, also the YouTube channel, and of course on this podcast as well. And we are back. The I don't know, most consecutive running podcast in Baylor Athletics, and there's a lot of great options out there for you, but uh, week after week, here we are, Grayson, in some form or fashion, and uh, now here we are, and we are at the tail end of the first month of the season, uh, and Baylor's already wrapped up, well, a quarter of their schedule at this point, uh, it's kind of, or no, excuse me, a third of their schedule at this point, um, which is kind of crazy how quickly it's flown by, but... Uh, a big win in Ames, Iowa to talk about this week as, as we will get to 31-24. The Bears moved to 3-1 on the year and now 1-0 in Big 12 play. But uh, before we dive fully into that, man, uh, there's a lot of anticipation for this game. Just kind of what are your thoughts, uh, you know, going in and now coming out of it? Uh, how do you think the week went? Yeah, I mean, there's really only so many things you can say about it, but I want to use every adjective and word I possibly can because it was so impressive to see them go on the road and find a way to win a road game. And that's massive for this program, right? Heading into the game, I'd mentioned before, three and eight in true road games under Dave Aranda. Uh, They get their fourth, um, and it was in kind of, I'm not going to say emphatic fashion, but they were clearly the better team. Um, on Saturday, I think anyone can see that except Iowa State fans who uh, we're going to get to in a little bit about quote-unquote bad officiating, but I felt in general this was a must-win for Baylor if they wanted to win a Big 12 championship and reach their goals for the year, and they came out and just were really impressive from the moment the game started. They were aggressive. They were clearly hungry to get a big road win, and uh, just so impressed by the entire coaching staff, by all the players, and and it's just one of those wins that I think could catapult them into October in a very good way. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I wrote about that a bit in my my Randa recap, was just talking about how this could, you know, or BYU really served as like kind of the jump start because that's sort of the the launching point I think from what we saw on Saturday was a lot of that in some ways had to do with just the lessons they had learned combined with what they'd already done and established and all that but it's like that game sort of helped maybe uh, mature them a little bit quicker uh, or at least mature them in some ways to where when they went on Ames went to Ames a couple weeks later it was not as big of a deal it wasn't as you know worrisome in terms of the crowd noise or this younger players. I just think that there was a, a much better response to the adversity that they faced. And so that to me was growing up a little bit, you know, how much of that was one thing or the other. Um, I think it's probably a combination of, of things that led to that performance, but uh, it was good to see, like you said, and it was a massive win to start off big 12 play. That's for sure. So for them to go out on the road, that answers a big question for me because that was one of the things I was waiting to see quite frankly was, you know, um, well, I guess a couple things we saw. Blake Shapin looked very sharp. 
and we'll get into all that. But, you know, to go out and win on the road was just something that they have not done regularly under Dave Aranda. The last time we saw them do it was in New Orleans, which was a neutral site crowd. And before that, it was in Arlington, which was a neutral site crowd. And then, you know, before that, it kind of hit or miss, quite frankly, as far as road games go and true road games. So they went out, checked a big box. Uh, Dave Aranda's now beaten Iowa State home and away, and uh, they are now 1-0 in Big 12 play, and when you look at the league this year, that is just a, a massive way to start off, getting a road win and beating what might be one of the upper-tier teams in the Big 12 uh, this season, depending on how it finishes when all is said and done. But let's get into the game itself and kind of just the loose summary of things. Uh, both scripted drives for both teams, a.k.a. their first drives, the ones they had planned out all week, you know, or by the end of the week, it was all planned out, and this is what we're going to do on drive number one. And then we'll get into the actual chess match of the game. Uh, the scripted drive is nearly identical for these two teams. Uh, Baylor, 12 plays, 77 yards, 6 minutes and 20 seconds off the clock. Iowa State, 12 plays, 75 yards, 5.45 off the clock, so pretty much twins uh, with their scripted drives in terms of the length and the yardage and also the time, uh, but for Baylor, it was a 12-play drive that ended with Ben Sims uh, in his return from injury, uh, catching the touchdown pass from uh, Blake Shapin to give Baylor an early 7-0 lead, and then on Play 12 of their drive, their response, Hunter Deckers uh, to Jarrell Brock, who we'd hear a lot about and see a lot of on Saturday uh, to tie the game all at seven. It was a beautiful opening drive. Baylor got some help on a couple calls on that drive. Of course, that's kind of where you, you groan and your eyes start to roll already of like, oh, great, just give Iowa State fans reasons to complain because they never lose a game up, you know, just, you know, up and up. It's always like some conspiracy, but, you know, that that got fed early on. But, yeah, a 7-7 after two, uh, you know, lengthy drives that uh, looked pretty good for both teams. And then it was kind of like game on after after those two drives, actually, because you're at 7-7, seven seven, it's like, all right, now let's settle in and, and play the rest of this game out. Yeah, and I mean, Baylor was just basically saying, we're going to score a touchdown on this drive, and if we don't, then we're going to turn the ball over on downs because they went for it twice in Iowa State territory, fourth and three at the Iowa State 24, the completed pass to Josh Fleeks, and then on fourth and two at the Iowa State 12 is where you saw the conversion to Ben Sims on just a beautifully called play. I mean, Sims was wide open, uh, leaped into the end zone, took a couple of hits um, going into the end zone, but just I tweeted about this. It was a masterful play call, and it also spoke to kind of Baylor's mindset going into this game. You know, we're not going into this game to play not to lose. We're going into this game to play to win. Very impressed by that. And like you mentioned, those two calls on the drive, you know, an unnecessary roughness, personal foul. You had um, another one a little bit later on the drive. And I feel like that's kind of been the topic of conversation for a lot of people. Um, but here's the deal. That Jar Jarrell Brock touchdown, in my eyes, was just as controversial. This one on this opening drive. I personally did not feel like he had control of that football, but again, Iowa State got the call. They get a touchdown on what would have been a turnover on down, so I felt like that was a massive call. Yeah, there were two touchdown calls they were right. recipients of. I don't, I don't want to get into officiating junk because that's what Iowa State fan would love because they don't want to acknowledge that Baylor's just better than them again. You know, if it's not calls and it's sideline fans, it's if it's not that, then it's you know something else. So. Um, yeah, there were some calls that could have gone either way or could have not been called at all, but uh, it wasn't like it was entirely one-sided by any means. Not at all. I mean, Iowa State got two touchdowns from it. We'll get to the second one later, but that first one... 
Very questionable. Yeah, Very you could have at least gotten a review in there. Yeah. Um, at least had a review. They didn't even attempt that, but, you know, we, we didn't uh, stop down and, and stop the world no. and, and force everybody to read our mean tweets uh, like an, another group did. But, or uh, yeah. call a timeout and completely stop the game while you're yelling at officials because you're just so upset that calls aren't going your way. Yeah, I put no. that in my good, bad, the ugly um, as far as Matt Campbell's little uh, – fit on the sidelines I'm kind of getting to be real over that and I like Matt Campbell well enough like we've interviewed him a couple times and he seems cool enough I guess but I do feel like I'm talking to one guy and then the guy I see on Saturdays is a completely different person almost and um that's something I haven't been able to quite resolve and I only have these brushing you know dalliances with even thinking about Matt Campbell so I don't know really what to think but I have started to believe that those are those are going out of style pretty quickly in my mind. Uh, and I, that wasn't a good look to me on Saturday, but uh, to each their own. So it was 7-7 after the scripted drives to open the game. And then Baylor, another 11-play drive. They go 68 yards, not able to get in the end zone, uh, but able to settle for a field goal as a John um, Mayers uh, comes in to kick the 24-yarder after Scora Williams got stopped on third and goal. Uh, so they settle for the field goal, and at that point it's 10-7. to uh, Iowa State gets the ball back, and they proceed to go three and out against the Baylor defense. Uh, so Baylor gets the ball back, and, um, you know, 10-7, and about to pad that a little bit further. Yeah, and I think it's one important play on that drive that Baylor had was the 40-yard completion to Hal Presley. That mm-hmm. was one of the first times this year where I think I've truly looked at a wide receiver for Baylor's team and been like, that was a really tough catch. That was a one-on-one battle, and he went up and won that battle. And it showed, I guess, maybe his progression and also just kind of, okay, this is what Baylor can be. And we had high expectations for Howler, at least I did, coming into the year. And you saw a flash of it on that play. It was really impressive. Baylor needs to see more of that throughout the year because it's very clear he can be a contested catch machine, especially on deep balls. And he showed it at that was a truly impressive play and one they're going to need to see more of throughout the year. Yeah, if they can get that on a consistent basis, uh, they have a chance to be really, really good. Um, Problem was, it came about halfway through the drive, and they did nothing after he caught that ball. They basically just stayed pat, maybe moved a yard or two either way, but didn't get anything done, you know, as far as being able to to turn that into, you know, six more. It did turn into a field goal, so it was better than nothing, but – um, yeah, you thought that that drive would end with a little bit more of an exclamation point given how big that catch felt. But, yeah, it was good to see that. So uh, they did turn that into a field goal, 10-7. As I said, Iowa State ends up punting after the three and out. And then Baylor uh, pads their lead, nine play, 70-yard drive in a little under four minutes as Blake Shapin ultimately finds Dylan Doyle on a one-yard touchdown pass. So Doyle back in his home state of Iowa Played for the old rival Hawkeyes to start his career before ending up in Waco as a transfer. And what a you know Hall of Fame player he's turned into since arriving in Waco now at this point. Um, and so he gets in the end zone for the first time in a while. Not the first time, certainly, that we've seen him in the end zone. And he does so back in his, his home territory, which was pretty cool. So at this point, it's 17-7. to And I think everybody knew there was a long way to go in this game, but I was feeling pretty dadgum good, knowing that Iowa State was going to make a run at some point, and this game wasn't anywhere close to being over. But just the uh, the fast start, even though we've seen it against Iowa State before, um, and, and you know, it not work out in the end. I don't know. It just felt different this time when they got up 17-7. It was just kind of like, okay, how much is Iowa State going to hang around, or how much could Baylor potentially like start to – 
sort of run away with this thing if they, you know, keep playing well because they were playing really well out of the gates. Yeah, and you got to see the first of a few Gavin Holmes receptions as he had a huge impact. He had a 36-yard grab on that drive. This was also the drive where you had one, I'll admit, very bad call on the chop block by the defender. That that was a bad call, but also one that is probably tough for a ref to call. Um, just because you can't really see the angle. Probably should have been no call, but a little bit later in the drive, Will McDonald did have a clear face mask. So uh, it was kind of a give and take there. Baylor scores. Uh, Dylan Doyle scored. I got a question this week in the chat about why is Dylan Doyle on the field and not one of our pass-catching running backs, and I'm just thinking to myself, have you watched this team? Because Dylan Doyle does this a lot and makes you know these timely catches, blocks, and runs in the red zone. We've seen it quite a few times, uh, especially in the BYU game a year ago, and got to see it again. Yeah, it was cool to see that, and uh, I, I don't know why anyone will complain about that. Yeah. I mean, it worked out in the end, and it's proven effective uh, on more than a couple of occasions, as effective as any of the younger receivers at this point, quite frankly. Right. I and mean, I don't know why. I mean, he's playing fullback, not running back. Like, they're different positions, and when you have him in there, you can take a defense by surprise, which they've done before, and they did it right there again. Yeah, and I think this was actually the meltdown call from from uh, this tar- uh, This uh, call was the, the actual... Block. Yeah, the yeah. chop block was the Matt Campbell meltdown um, on this drive, but but yeah, he'd been angry already, and then that one that's when he decided to full-blown call a timeout just to be able to cuss out the refs, basically, was, was this drive because Baylor did have what would have been a, a drive killer that you know gets extended um, and then eventually, yeah, turns into a touchdown. So you see where some of the anger comes from. Um, but that was a play we saw against BYU a couple of times. I mean, maybe it wasn't as egregious, but I know where that call's coming from. Um, whether or not it was a good call, that you know is up for for whatever kind of debate you want to have. But it did immediately go like, oh yeah, there's the BYU call that we saw the the chop block on a you know a guy coming around to block. So, anyways, it uh, it worked out in the end for Baylor, and uh, then after trading a couple of punts, uh, you thought, all right, well, just get into halftime up seventeen to seven. Uh, but instead, if there's a you know glaring weakness on this team right now, it's not being able to close out the first half of games as for what feels like the umpteenth time, but I believe it was the third time this season that uh, an opponent scores on the drive right before halftime. So what was 17 to seven, uh, very BYU like now is you know a much closer game as uh, Iowa State's able to go down the field in a little less than three minutes, eight plays. 63 yards, and eventually it's Hunter Deckers to Dimitri Stanley, a 24-yard touchdown, and it's suddenly 17-14, and it's halftime, and uh, Iowa State gets the ball to start the second half. So that was kind of a, well, well dang. Like, all all this effort and having the lead and all that, and now it just it almost felt like you were starting back at square one. Yeah, and Baylor had a third and one on that previous drive, and Shapin ended up getting sacked, and... You know, as this season progresses, I really wish Baylor would, and I know you don't want to risk Blake Shapin, but QB sneaks have been so effective in this offense. We saw with Gary Bohannon last year, and even, you know, Charlie, for as much as people don't want to give him a lot of credit, he's one of the best, you know, QB sneak quarterbacks I've ever seen, but I feel like they could utilize that a little bit more. But anyways, they got stopped there, and so Iowa State got the ball back. And, man, A.J. McCarty, he has had some rough stretches at points this year, and he got beat on that touchdown. And that's just kind of simply inexcusable at this point. I mean, they had the ball in the 24. You can't be giving up big plays with a minute left. And I think Dave Aranda really needs to figure out a way to get this defense playing up to the level they have been playing at. Um, 
you know, at the end of the halves. I, I think that's a big deal. And for some reason, teams are having a lot of success when they're just spreading the ball out. So I'm wondering if teams don't start just, hey, you know what, we're going to go five wide and we're just going to air it out and we're going to throw it all over the place and not turn around and just hand the ball off and waste down. So just well, something to pay attention to. One thing uh, Dave Arena referred to in regards to this drive was that after, I guess, they had um, they had scored to go up 17-7, to that there was kind of a feel-good, you know, sense on the sidelines of, you know, almost being too happy and too excited rather than the complete opposite, which was kind of what they, you know, felt like during BYU at times or whatever. Um, there was, like, almost too much good energy and not realizing, like, hey, it's not even halftime yet. Like, we still got to finish this thing out. And so that's something that, you know, he had to correct or and mentioned as being sort of noteworthy from this stretch of the game. So... You gotta, whatever the issue is, you have to get it corrected. You can't give up 24-yard touchdown passes with basically, you know, I'm under a minute to go in a tight game on the road and go from having a 10-point lead to, you know, up three and then giving them the ball back. That's just, it's not going to work. So anyways, Iowa State made it uh, a lot closer at halftime. Fortunately, they come out in the second half and two plays into having the ball, uh, throw an interception, Hunter Eckers, uh, picked off by Devin Neal. Uh, so that was a, a big turnover, and we haven't been able to talk about those very often for this defense, but that was certainly uh, – didn't really result in anything, quite frankly, but it was just kind of a big deal at the time because it cut you know, cut the, the head off their drive that could have potentially tied it to start the second half. Yeah, and a huge play by Devin Lemire. I know Devin Neal ends up with the interception, yeah. but Lemire came in there and dislodged the football from the receiver, and it popped into Lorando's tip, and then it popped into Devin Neal's chest. And so you get the interception. And like you said, it's a big one because it was their first one. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it didn't turn into much, but I did need to mention that because Devin Lemire played sensational football on this day, had another opportunity for an interception a little bit later. Um, so he's a guy to keep an eye on. He's played really, really good football and made a big play right there. Baylor goes uh, four and out uh, after going for it. Blake Shapin uh, falls short to uh, Quaylen Jones on a fourth and fourth, the Iowa State 30. So being aggressive there, but uh, nothing comes from those points. Thankfully, another three and out for Iowa State is the Baylor defense. Just continued playing well. And then uh, Baylor turns that into basically the the break open play or series of the game, quite frankly, uh, to go up 10 points, a 10-play drive this time around, spanning 93 yards and over five minutes of action. And uh, got a little bit of everything, but eventually in the end, it was uh, Richard Reese uh, scooting a little 19-yard rugged run uh, where he had to keep his balance and was able to show his speed and – he just continues to be a player that you get more and more excited about the more you see him. But uh, another touchdown for the true freshman from Belleville, and it's 24-14 to 14, just like that. Yeah, and an impressive play on this drive was that Dabney reception, which he hurdled the defender. That was – I mean, mm -hmm. he's a very good athlete, and you finally got to see him kind of in the open field make a play like that. The tight ends were extremely active in this game. They were very well utilized. And then, like you mentioned, Richard Reese just continues his – success and on that run he was breaking arm tackles he looked just so explosive on that touchdown run it was fun to watch he did and uh Blake Shapin was very sharp on this drive hitting a lot yeah. of different guys as well uh so yeah I mean just another double digit play drive and another score at the end uh so that was that was incredible to see that so yeah 24 to 14 uh then both teams go back to trading punts uh you know three and outs or I guess no it was a six play drive for Iowa State before they punted Baylor uh, goes four and out as uh, they're, uh, 
you know, forced to, to punt after the Blake shape and sack. And then we got our next big, you know, moment in the game. Iowa State in the midst of a 10-play drive that went from the end of the third quarter to the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, eventually gets picked off on play number 10. Hunter Decker's picked off for the second time in what uh, was just a short amount of time in that second half. Uh, this time it was Christian Morgan, who we have not seen a ton of this year, uh, kind of off and on as far as, like I guess, injuries and um, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, the super senior leader uh, getting his first interception of the year, and uh, that was a big play on, on fourth down as they were going for it inside the, uh, you know, the – or I guess just inside the 50-yard line in Baylor territory. But a uh, huge play, and uh, as we would see shortly, they would take full advantage of that. Yeah, and this play was massive because it saved them pro- you know, potentially like 30 yards of um, field position because I know it was fourth and four, and I know I guess if it's an incompletion, they would have gotten it there. But in general, I felt like it was one of those plays that if they would have gotten that fourth down, it, it could have been problematic oh yeah um but they, they played really sound defense and this was a terrible throw from Deckers just he didn't make many terrible throws this was a really bad throw that Morgan was able to pick off so really impressive there by him and great to see him get back on the field and make an impact early yeah I mean you, one thing that uh, if you read my piece from the day about Aranda's uh you know his kind of comments and my takeaways of them was um was just talking about experience, and you can't really buy that, and you certainly can't buy the experience that Christian Morgan has. Like, whatever you think of him as a player at this stage or, like, whatever you love or don't love or whatever, or who you think maybe has more of this or more of that, like, that kid has played – excuse me, that young man has played a lot of games. Like, and you can't – there's a lot of value there. There is, and so uh, good to see him out there. So, anyways, uh, Morgan with the big interception – Baylor turns it into a touchdown, a four-play drive in under two minutes. Blake Shapin to Gavin Holmes, a 38-yard touchdown on the double-reverse throwback pass that uh, also featured uh, what Shapin handing off to Richard Reese, who gave it to Seth Jones, who then gave it back to Shapin, who was uh, just in need of a little bit of pocket time to be able to find as wide open of a wide receiver as you'll see in college football this year. And Gavin Holmes, who legit was just like fielding a fly in center field, basically just don't drop it. Um, but probably a hard catch to make because he was so wide open and there was nobody around and all he had to do was catch this fly ball, basically. Uh, but it worked uh, well executed, well called. And this was basically the it wasn't the backbreaker, but it sure felt like a backbreaker type of a play as they go up 17 uh, with uh, just the you know remaining fourth quarter to, to tick away at this point. Yeah, I felt like this game was over after that point. Yeah. And it, it pretty much was. Pretty much. Um, not for, quite. Not <laughs> quite, but for the most part it was. Big play there and another explosive for Gavin Holmes. He was terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, probably need to mention, you know, Monterey didn't play a ton, so I don't know. One catch. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with him, if he's still banged up. I Um, mentioned that in the rapid reaction was I I didn't know what to say, really, because I know we saw him early, he got a touch, and then I don't feel like we saw him again after that, and I didn't, you know. He dropped a touch, a borderline touchdown on the rollout. He got it Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Probably would have been a touchdown. Yeah, so maybe that was kind of like, just go stand to the side. I don't don't know, but I didn't want to speculate because I wasn't there to see, like, was he on the sideline or was he in the tent or anything like that. But, yeah, now now that you mentioned that, I do remember that. So, yeah, um, we'll see on on Monterey. Um, But... It was good to at least see him back out there, and hopefully, well, and it was good to see Gavin come in and play really well yeah. in replacement. Um, yeah, almost he, had a hundred yard game. He looks, he looks as good as I've ever seen him, and that's that's great. That adds to their depth there. And since Monterey hasn't been one hundred percent for a lot of this season, I, I think that's been very key that he's stepped up into this role. 
yeah, my concern when everybody was going gaga over Baldwin's abilities was just like we haven't seen it yet, and he's kind of a small dude, and let's kind of like see how you know. Yeah. I just I wasn't sold on number one wide receiver just yet, mm-hmm. and that was kind of my concern coming in. And I'm not saying hey, I'm right because I think that like there's a long way to go in this year, and I I'm still high on Monterey. But it's just kind of like, yeah, that's what I was sort of worried about. Yeah, was, I think was we we're set. all right that Ben Sims is their best receiver. Oh, that's not even a debate. But then I also think we've also been pretty right on the fact that I think as the season progresses, how Presley is probably going to turn into the best true wide receiver. Yeah. But the thing of it is, Gavin Holmes is making that conversation very interesting right now. Yeah, and it's good to see. It really is. Uh, so he uh, gets the big touchdown on the trick play, and then it was Iowa State uh, making it a – Two-score game after a seven-play, 75-yard drive that was a little bit too easy in just 221 as uh, Jarrell Brock, a 37-yard run. Controversy here. It was, first of all, a 37-yard run. That's just kind of not good. Um, but second of all, a heck of an effort play from Lorando Johnson uh, at the goal line to come and punch the ball out. It goes tumbling into the end zone. Brock falls on it. Uh, originally, it was ruled a touchback because he fumbled out of the end zone, which is a dumb rule. We can all debate that rule, but um, that's what it looked like it was going to be. To Baylor's benefit was a touchback and their ball and effectively game over. Instead, they review it, and they determine that Jarrell Brock actually jumped on the ball before it went out of bounds, and he maintained possession. And this is all being argued by Iowa State Twitter and Baylor Twitter, and I don't really care to debate on what was the right call or not because they made their decision and it counted as a touchdown. I don't agree necessarily, but I have seen enough tweets about this that I'm not going to care to debate it. Um, and it doesn't matter in the end, but it did matter at that point because that game should have been over. And instead you were having to wait now for an onside kick and just, you know, like, all right, it's not quite over just yet because um, now they are, you know, within a couple of, uh, of scores. But, yeah, Jarrell Brock gets the touchdown. It stands, and I, I didn't agree with it, but it is what it is. Yeah, so once again, Iowa State fans complaining. This is the second touchdown that the refs effectively gave you here. And if Baylor did lose this game, I'd have a huge problem with that call. Like, the fact of the matter is that ball was poked out, and that ball is just bouncing all over the place. And there is no way through any review that they had that they could that you can look me in the eyes and tell me beyond a shadow of the doubt that this dude had full control of the football and established control of the football before he landed out of bounds. I just I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. That is just a crazy call when you look at the fact that the call in the field was a touchback. I don't know. I had a huge issue with it. You're right, though. 37-yard gain, that's not great. When you look at the totality of the game, Baylor had only given up 29 yards rushing outside of that 37-yard run. That is yeah. so impressive. They were so good up front. Um, but, yeah, Brock you know, ends up getting a touchdown there. Yep, so uh, I like that I was shown still photos as though that – Tells you the tale, given that, uh, you know, there's like the whole in-action, the whole in-motion aspect of, you know, a review. But, yes, that, that still shot of him frozen there inbounds is, yes, oh, yeah, you're right, he scored there. I mean, yeah. the, come on. Um, but, anyways, it counted good for him and his stats, but didn't result in a win. Uh, regardless, Baylor did punt uh, after trying to basically wind this thing down. Unable to do so after a few plays. End up uh, kicking um, from around midfield. And uh, Iowa State turns that into a 10-play, 71-yard drive that ends in a field goal. They go ahead and go for the field goal rather than, you know, risking the entire game on a on a fourth down play. 
Uh, so Jace Gilbert's good from 28. They try to kick the onside kick to uh, get the ball back and score a touchdown to, to send it to overtime or to try to win, potentially. Um, but Matt Jones, after a brief heart attack type moment when it bounces away from him is able to fall on the football game over Baylor wins 31 24 uh really didn't feel as close as the final score indicated but that late Brock touchdown and the controversy with that pulled it into a one score game and then you had the onside kick none of that would have been in the cards if that original call would have stood it was basically would have been game over at that point and Baylor would have won by a couple scores but Uh, looked closer than it really felt uh, when all was said and done, but a good win nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, once again, Iowa State, basically, they scored 17 points in essentially hurry-up offense and their two-minute offense, essentially, is where they were They were trying to score quickly and they were able to do so. Um, but that's pretty interesting that they only scored seven points on what was kind of their normal base offense. So really impressive by Baylor. They shut down the run completely. Uh, like I mentioned, 66 yards rushing for Iowa State, 2.4 yards per carry. If you take away that 37-yard run, they had 26 carries for 29 yards. That is so impressive on the road. Their defense line was terrific. Um, they got pressure on the quarterback, four sacks. Bryson Jackson, he was co-defense player of the week in the Big 12. He had two sacks. He was all over the place. Um there's just not enough good things, I think, to say about the defense. They they really controlled that football game up front. Yes, they did. So before we turn our attention to uh, Oklahoma State, uh, recruiting-wise, Grayson, a quick update on on that side of the, uh, the uh, program. Yeah, I mean, so I already have a list. We're up over 25 prospects on the list currently. Uh, Ten commits um, are currently scheduled to visit, including 2024 commit Jaden Porter out of Lorena. So Lorena, I mean, and so... Yeah, it's a good weekend, and this was a weekend that was circled on Baylor's calendar, I think, recruiting-wise, that this was going to be a big game. They are going to try to have as many guys on campus as possible. I still have some guys to add to the list. I think they're probably going to get close to that 35-40 range. Um, Lots of guys with offers, 2024 group. I mean, there's like 15 guys with offers who will be in attendance um, this weekend, so it's a huge game. Uh, Baylor knows it's a huge game. Oklahoma State knows it's a huge game. And so they're going to get as many recruits on campus as possible. Um, and that's kind of where they're at right now. Uh, it's a really exciting weekend. If you want to see the whole list, um, go to the premium side of things. I have the whole list posted of the names that I have right now. Um, but in general, you know, four offense linemen in the 2024 class, uh, three wide receivers, a few DBs, a few linebackers. It's a nice mixture of talented prospects on campus, a couple four-star guys as well. Um, so, yeah, really good list, really impressive what they're doing on the recruiting trail as they're kind of gearing up to turn the corner a little bit and really focus on the 2024 class now that 2023 is you know, pretty much cemented. They maybe have a, a couple spots left, but that class has been kind of in place for a while now. So a big recruiting weekend ahead, and uh, the opponent that will be, uh, you know, sort of the backdrop for the festivities, uh, certainly not the backdrop for attention, but uh, as these recruits take their trips, you'll have, of course, the the big game in the background, and uh, that is Oklahoma State for the third time in the last one year to be exact, as long as my date mathematic skills are correct, I believe 365 days exactly from um, the uh, – First meeting last year to this meeting here, of course, with the Big 12 championship game sandwiched in between. So Stillwater this time a year ago, Arlington in December, and now back in Waco. And the last time these two teams played in Waco 
was one of the more miserable, like just end the season already type of games that um, that I've seen. Uh, the only other one comparable was the 2016 squad when you're basically just by the end of it, like that Texas Tech game, you're just like put us out of our misery already and let's get a new coaching staff in here. It was th- those were those were negative vibes, but. If you remember that COVID year, that was also like a let's just get this over with and put everybody out of their misery and let, let's move on to next season type of thing. Um, so that was the last meeting in Waco um, for Oklahoma State and Baylor. This will be a much different ball game, different program now than what the Cowboys saw back then. The Pokes are 3-0. and They're coming off of an open week, so they've had two weeks to prepare. Prior to that, beat Michigan State 58-44 in a game they were winning in a blowout. Chippewas came back towards the end. Never really, like, threatened, but it did get dicey, and Oklahoma State had let their foot off the gas, and and I don't think that was indicative of how that game was as a whole. Turn around and beat Arizona State by 17. Uh, I guess you could see the name and think quality opponent, but this is also a team that since that game has fired their head coach, so how great was it really? Um, and then Arkansas Pine Bluff, which, I mean, that was your your real beat-em-up non-conference opponent. They beat them 63-7. to they have not played outside of Stillwater yet. All three games at home, 3-0, and off the open week. Your thoughts on Oklahoma State? Yeah, and I mean, with all those rumors and allegations that the Arizona State staff was throwing games to get Herm Edwards fired, that makes that one even less impressive. Um, they're really bad, Arizona State is. And the teams that Oklahoma State have played are really bad. Central Michigan's 1-3 on the year. Arizona State's 1-3. Arkansas Pine Bluff is an FCS team. I mean, they haven't played anybody. This schedule is a joke. Um, And that doesn't mean that Oklahoma State's bad. It just simply means they haven't been tested yet. And now they're going to have to go on the road for the first time and face a team that is far more talented than the teams that they've played up to this point. So that's one of those things where you look at and go, okay, so... Is Oklahoma State truly going to be ready for this war that they're about to have on Saturday, whereas Baylor has already gone to BYU. They've gone to Ames. Like, they've been tested. They've been battle-tested. So I think that's an interesting storyline going into this game. Uh, But I'll also mention, you know, Spencer Sanders is playing great football. Probably the best football he's played of his career. Uh, Was terrific against Notre Dame at the end of last year, and then you're seeing it translate to this season. Uh, He's completing 65% of his passes, 13 total touchdowns, one interception, uh, 916 yards passing, and then he's had another 110 yards on the ground. So he's been very, very efficient through their first three games. Um, Flip side for Baylor, they've picked him off 10 times in his career, and he only has five total touchdowns against the Bears in three games. So... A very interesting dynamic there, and one that uh, if that trend continues, then Baylor should be in great position in this game. You would think so, although Aranda has definitely shot away from the, you know, well, you've had success against Spencer mm-hmm. Sanders. How are you going to do that again? It's like, this is a new team, buddy. Like, yeah. this ain't last year Spencer Sanders. This is a different Spencer Sanders. This is a different Baylor defense. This is a Baylor defense that hadn't had any turnovers really until last week. Uh, no, no interceptions. So... You know, they haven't exactly just carried that over. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice if he played the way he's typically played against Baylor. That means they're walking away with a win most likely. Right, and you also got to remember, I mean, I don't even think Arizona State or Oklahoma State cared about their first three games. I think in fall camp, all their prep was getting ready for this Baylor matchup October 1st because they knew they weren't really playing anyone. So I think they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. I think it's very similar to kind of what we were saying about Baylor going into the Iowa State game. I think, you know, there was a lot of talk about, oh, they're going to, you know, change some things when conference play begins. They're going to do some things differently and and maybe – 
change up the scheme some. I think you're going to definitely see that from Oklahoma State. I expect their defense to get better throughout the year, including in this game. I think you're probably going to see a different Spencer Sanders than the one we saw in the Big 12 Championship and the one in Stillwater from a year ago. But I'll also say, I think looking at Baylor, Baylor's going to make Oklahoma State one-dimensional. Currently, the Cowboys are 66th in rushing yards in the country, and they've gotten to play three horrible defenses. So I don't think they're a very good run team. So therefore, this is going to be very much a can Spencer Sanders win the game for us offensively type thing. I don't know the answer to that, but based on his track record against Baylor, I'd probably say that the odds of that are, are kind of low uh, at this time. On the flip side, Talking about their receivers a little bit, Brendan Presley, Braden Johnson, John Paul Richardson, Bryson Green, all four of those guys have over 120 yards receiving, and all of them have scored a touchdown. So there's much more depth there, much more balance in the passing game than they had a year ago, where it was essentially just Tay Martin and Brendan Presley, and that was it. They have more depth there, and oh, they're also probably going to get Jaden Bray back for this game. He's been out to start the year. He was a guy who had three catches for 52 yards against Baylor in the Big 12 championship. He also drew two or three pass interference calls as well. He's a problem, and he's a big-time playmaker on the outside, and they haven't been able to play a game with him yet this year, but I think he's probably going to play this weekend. As Gundy said, he's going to ramp up his practice schedule this week. All right, well... Perfect timing, I guess, for, mm-hmm. for them at least. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You know, playing Oklahoma State, they're going to have some good players. So, um, you know, they've they've seen this team enough, even though both teams have evolved and changed and there's new faces and whatnot. I mean, I think you know what to expect, regardless of, of who's in or who's out for the Cowboys. Yeah, I would definitely say that offensively. I think defensively is where everyone's kind of just like, what is this Oklahoma State team yeah. on the defensive end? One thing we know for sure is they have an elite pass rush. They get after the quarterback very, very well. Um, they've done that already to start this year. They're one of the best teams in the country getting after the quarterback. Uh, they have multiple guys with two sacks. I think they have four guys with at least two sacks. You know, Colin Martin, Tyler Lacey, and Brock Martin are the three guys that kind of stand out in that category. Um, and they're very good there. Their issues have been their linebackers aren't as good as they were a year ago. Trying to replace Malcolm Rodriguez, is that's a tough feat as he's already starting for the Detroit Lions right now. They're also having to replace a lot of guys in their secondary, so they've been susceptible to some big plays, some explosive plays uh, in the past game. So I'm very curious how Baylor decides to attack them. But I think in general, you're going to see a defense line that's going to try to provide a lot of havoc on Blake Shapin, try to force him to get the ball out of his hands early, while also trying to take away the run. But I think on the Baylor side, you're kind of sitting there going, you know what, I think this defense is a little fraudulent. I think they're going to turn around, hand the ball off, and just kind of do the same scheme they had uh, in Ames over this weekend. Run the ball a lot, use play action, get guys into space, get first downs, try to create explosives. And in general, if Oklahoma State doesn't you know, get up to the challenge that they were a year ago defensively, if Derek Mason doesn't kind of turn the corner a little bit for those guys, then I think Baylor's going to have a lot of success on offense. Yeah, I think you should feel pretty good about the offense after last week. I mean, I know I do. I feel way better about the offense after last week. Feel good about the defense. The fact that they haven't really – I mean, if suddenly Oklahoma State's running on them this weekend. That would be a bit of a surprise and yeah. a little bit of a concern. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's going to be a solid game. I think it's – you know, Oklahoma State's a, always a good fight. Uh, there's nothing outside of Spencer Sanders that really just strikes me as like, oh, my goodness. I think this is a 
you know, winnable game, but I, I think it's a winnable game only if you play a clean game and a good game. Uh, they can't, you know, play sloppy and then expect Oklahoma State to just, you know, play sloppy as well in turn and, you know, allow them to just get a win at home. I mean, they're going to have to fight for this one. Yeah, and one thing I will mention, I know Jaron Hall is a pretty good athlete at BYU, um, but Spencer Sanders is a very oh, mobile yeah. quarterback, and we've seen that, and I, I think he's a better runner than Jaron. I actually don't think it's all that close. I think Jaron's a better passer, but, like, we saw this weekend what a running quarterback can do to even a, a defense that was looking pretty good. I don't think Oklahoma's defense is on the level of Baylor's, but I am saying he will provide a unique challenge that they haven't seen so far this year as far as his mobility goes. So I'm curious how they kind of you know, scheme for that. I'll also say, you know, Oklahoma State hasn't ran the ball well, but I'm curious if Baylor decides, you know what, we're going to run our base defense, and if Oklahoma State is able to have success running – you know, we'll kind of force them to try to do that and maybe take away what Spencer Sanders is trying to do in the pass game. Maybe they go that route instead of kind of how they've played where they're like, we're going to take away the run, we'll run man-to-man on the outside. I'm curious if they kind of shift that up a little bit and try to run more zone against Spencer Sanders, which has worked for them in the past. Yep, uh, definitely a worry anytime you play a guy like him of what he can do when he escapes the pocket. And uh, he's hurt them before. He's hurt a lot of teams before uh, in that regard. But he's playing really well right now. So I know everybody thinks of bad Spencer Sanders, especially after you know the last time we saw him against Baylor. But right now he's playing pretty well, and you can't just assume that that's going to be the case. I mean, this is his final hurrah. You know, this is his curtain call in college football. So I think – especially after last year, he's probably had this one circled. Just like Oklahoma State's probably had this one circled, as you kind of said a second ago, uh, for quite some time now. We, and we know that's wouldn't be the first team. BYU did. BYU had that, that bad boy circled up, and you see what they've done since then, quite frankly. It's been kind of hit or miss. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there was so much poured into that one game, and they won it, and then, you know, kind of a letdown after that probably wow. in some ways. So I'm sure Oklahoma State will be will be all geeked up for, for this game. Uh, anything anything more on this game that you wanted to point out? No, I, I don't think so. Those are the main things. I just I, – I will caution people to, you know, if you go watch last year's Big 12 championship and even the first game in Stillwater, I just have a feeling that we're not going to see that same Spencer Sanders. So mm-hmm. I would just caution people to say, you know, going around talking to people saying that Spencer Sanders isn't good and all that, I, I think that you're going to see a different version of him on Saturday. Is that enough to win this game? We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I do think he'll he'll put a much better effort forward. All right, get into the mailbag, and then we'll get into Big 12 picks. Darth Mellon, before the Iowa State game, I told my friends and fellow alumni I felt Iowa State game would have a tremendous impact on our end record, meaning the loss would hurt the team's confidence. We'd end up more like 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. A win would inspire it, and we would end up going on a run and likely reach double digits. Curious of y'all's thoughts. Thanks for the effort you put into the podcast. Well, thank you, Darth Mellon. Uh, I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, I... I don't know. Like my position has changed wildly. I, I think I said at the beginning of the year I was an eight and four guy, and then, you know, started to feel kind of like the ramping up and the excitement of the season, and started flirting more with the ten win idea because that's what you had, that's what others have had, and I was more skeptical. And look, by the way, eight and four is not negative. Like that's eight and four off a Big Twelve Sugar Bowl team losing all the seniors they did. Like that's not being negative. That's actually being pretty pretty like positive on things but I guess that's just kind of where we are so anyways um I got more positive and picked you know more to the 10 win side of things but yeah after seeing them rebound this past weekend I definitely feel great about eight and I feel good about them being able to win more than that I don't have like a 
they're going to win this. But I feel good about them winning a Big 12 championship, which is why I picked them to win a Big 12 title before the year. Um, and I feel as strongly about that or as good about that as, as I have the entire time. Yeah, I mean, my floor for this team was 8-4. and four. I've kind of been strict on that since we even started talking about what their record could be during the year you know in the preseason I I just felt like looking at their schedule there's no way they're going to win less than eight games even if they would have lost Iowa State I still felt like eight and four was still the floor I just you know obviously if they would have gotten blown out that probably would have changed some things but um yeah that was still the floor so I mean you know after that win I still feel like they're a 10 and 2 team I still think that's very attainable. I still think they're a Big 12 title contender. I mean, if they go 10-2, and two, they'll be in the Big 12 championship game because um, that would be one conference loss. So they would for sure be in. Um, so yeah, I'm still right there. I still think they're going to go 10-2. and two. I got, you know, after watching that game, I definitely feel more optimistic about their chances in every single game on their schedule. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I'm sticking to it. I, I still think they'll go 10-2 and two on the year, and I, I think that was a great win this weekend. Yeah, the only thing would have been if they had lost that game, they'd already had two, and they would have had to outright run the rest of the table, which is entirely possible, but also kind of asking a lot in this league right now. So right. it was it was big to get that win and, yeah. and kind of maintain if that. If they would have lost, that's kind of what I meant by their yeah. floor 8-4. and four. They would have been trending more towards yeah. going 8-4. and four. But yeah, getting the win, I still think they're right right there. They got a great chance. Yep. Um, I think we're all kind of just more positive about being positive, I guess is the best way to put yeah. it. Uh, it was just confirmation on kind of what everybody's thinking. Uh, thank you, Darth. Uh, not great. Grant Taff, after four games, which player players are getting significant playing time that have yet to prove themselves reliable yeah uh, you know that's such a tough question because reliable reliable is different than you know playing great or proving themselves to be awesome you know I, I think I mentioned AJ McCarty a little bit earlier you know he needs to play better um he does but he's not the only one like listen coming into the year a lot of people you know we're talking about Devin Neal and this huge step forward and how great he was going to be He's had issues tackling in the open field. He's had issues in coverage, and teams have been scheming one-on-one matchups with him, and that's not his strength. So it's unfortunate because you watch the game, you go, oh, man, he got beat. But, you know, he's a safety. He's great at tackling and making plays, but he's had some misses here or there. So he needs to play better in my eyes. Um, Al Walcott, the club, has kind of held him back a little bit. He's missed some open field tackles that I do think without that he'd be making. Um, so hoping that comes soon because he's been in the right position. It just seems like, you know, that hand is kind of throwing him off a little bit. Um, trying to think of other guys who have maybe struggled or I think in general, like Gavin Byers, he took his big step forward this last weekend. So I think he's reliable now. I still think wide receiver is a big question mark. Like yeah. is Seth Jones reliable? I don't know yet. I don't know that he's kind of answered that. I think Hal's getting there. I think Gavin Holmes is there already. Uh, I think Monterey needs to get there. He needs to prove himself to be reliable as well. So I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. A lot of guys have proven it already, but there are still some guys that I think have some proving to do. Yeah, I think that about sums it up. Um, there's definitely some some great hope with a lot of guys, but yeah, yeah not quite living up to uh, their potential just yet in some cases. But uh, yeah, I don't think anything too negative. Just, you know, take some time for, for certain guys to, to get to that point. Um, but yeah, I think you know, give it another couple weeks and revisit this, and probably have some some more to add on to that. Um, thank you, Not Grantaf, E Nable, uh, Nable. Uh, even though we don't have a lot of usable film for Oklahoma State at this point, what is their greatest strength we have to contain and their greatest weakness we need to exploit, and how can we do that? 
Yeah, so I guess weakness side is where I'll start. Uh, the secondary. They're young, they're inexperienced, um, and that includes their linebackers. Um, it's just kind of this group that is still learning and coming together. Now, maybe the bye week they were able to solve a lot of their problems, but in general, they've had issues there. And so that's the area that I think Baylor needs to exploit them is basically Blake Shapin being as efficient as he was last week against Iowa State. He needs to be able to do that. Um, their greatest strength you know, honestly, watching them, I, I am a firm believer that their passing game is going to be far better than it was a year ago. I think Spencer Sanders is playing really good football. I think their receivers are a lot deeper than they were a year ago. So I really think it's the passing game that Baylor needs to be able to contain, which means getting pressure on Spencer Sanders, forcing turnovers, and forcing them not to convert on third downs. Scotty B, um, the Baylor King, how would you contain the passing game while making sure that Spencer Sanders doesn't scramble for a ton of yards? How many passing or rushing yards do you expect Baylor to get offensively against the Oklahoma State defense? So I guess uh, Sanders and then passing or rushing yards for the Baylor offense. Yeah, that's a great question as far as, you know, not giving up a lot to Sanders scrambling. I, I think the key for Baylor is keeping him in the pocket. That's where they had so much success against him last year was forcing him to stay in the pocket and feel uncomfortable by Baylor's pass rush of their front four. And I think that's what they're going to have to do. You don't want to waste a QB spy on him. You really don't. Um, you want to be able to drop into zone and really make him have to fit the ball into tight windows. So I think that's the key. Keep him in the pocket. That's easier said than done. Um, but they did it last year and had success with it. So I think that's the route to go. You'll give up a, a five-yard run here or there. That's fine. You just don't want to give up huge chunk plays. That, that's kind of the big thing. As far as passing and rushing yards for Baylor, um, I think Baylor can probably get to probably 280 passing and probably another 150 on the ground. That'd be one heck of a day. I think they can get there. Expect... I think they'll be right around 400 yards total offense in this one, which that's right around the number that I'm, I'm kind of thinking. That would be a pretty good day, I would think. I think that they could you definitely make something happen with about 400 yards of offense. Um, yeah. That's what they did against Iowa State, right? Yeah. Like 370? I think something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't have exact numbers in mind, Scotty, but you know, close to 200 yards rushing ultimately when all is said and done. But I think you probably factor in like sack yards and things like that. Yeah. So maybe about 150 something, but 150 to 200 yards would be would be fantastic. And then, yeah, you know, two something in the in the passing game probably about right. If Blake Shapin's having a good day, if he's having a fantastic day, then maybe he approaches three, and that's how you do most of your damage. But yeah. um, I think they're going to want to run the ball quite a bit. Um, so yeah. Um, I think the offense is going to be able to, to be pretty effective. I think being at home is going to be huge for them, and I think just the confidence of last week, um, I think they're going to you know, obviously have their unique game plan for the Cowboys, but I think passing or rushing, they're going to be able to, to find ways to be effective. I don't think it's going to be quite as stingy as last year was at times with uh, with Oklahoma State trying to move the football, although – you know, before Blake Shapin's injury, yeah. they weren't that stingy. Um, he, he had some kind of number that they had dialed up against the Cowboys. It would have been fascinating to see how that game would have played out the whole way if he had remained healthy and just how much that offense could have kept their foot on the gas. But very intrigued to your point about, you know, kind of how they attack and how effective they can be this time around against Derek Mason as opposed to Jim Knowles. Uh, Dak, JD90, which player has been the most pleasant surprise to y'all in the first four games of the season? Yeah, for me, I, I know we talked about him during fall camp um, a little bit, so we kind of had this expectation that he was pretty good. 
but I think injuries have allowed him to get on the field a lot more and really prove himself. So, I mean, I think this is a pretty easy answer that's Richard Reese. Um, yeah. He's been terrific through these first four games, and they've needed it with Tay McWilliams out. So, yeah, he's been the, the biggest pleasant surprise for me. I mean, I think it kind of has to be him, uh, given just the stats and the impact and things like that. But uh, I also would say Gavin Holmes, just because, I mean, yeah, we can all say, like, this is what we expected. Okay, win. In 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, like, yeah, we've all expected at some point or another, but, I mean, even if you had optimism, there has to be a part in everybody, even the most optimistic that's like, we'll see. Like, I mean, you know, we all know there's talent, but, like, you know, because of injuries and whatnot, like, we'll see. And it's been great to see him out there and healthy and actually having an opportunity to contribute. And I think that that's been not a total shock, but it has been a pleasant surprise. Um, so thank you, Dak. Sammy Grace Bear, we still don't seem to have a clear number one receiver, but I'm happy. Uh, I'm so happy how much I feel Gavin Holmes is being used, especially since I did not hear his name mentioned much in the preseason, and you want players who have stuck with the program to do well. What are your thoughts about how our wideouts are developing, and who do you see being Shapin's favorite target besides Ben Sims? Yeah, I mean, I felt like we talked about him as far as being healthy, but it, it was always the question of, but how, how, who's he going to play over? And so, to be honest, at the beginning of the year, he wasn't playing over Monterey Baldwin until he got hurt. And so, now Gavin's been given a chance, and he's played really well. He was obviously the starter on kick return and punt return as well. Um, You know, this is a great question, because when's Monterey going to be back to 100% as a part of this question? Um, Is Gavin Holmes going to be able to keep this up is another question. I still feel like as the season progresses, they're going to need an outside receiver to be their best go-to receiver, and I think that's how Presley. I've seen enough flashes to just kind of sit back and go, this guy has the talent to be really, really good as the season progresses, and I've seen enough flashes to say I think he's only going to get better as the year goes on, but I do think Monterey, Gavin Holmes will have a role as well, and obviously, as you mentioned, Ben Sims and Drake Dabney, their other tight end, I mean, those guys are going to be featured as well, but... I'd put my money on how Presley being that guy as the year goes on. Yeah, I hate to be boring, um, but that's pretty much the logical answer, I think, based on what we've seen and based on just kind of the little flashes, uh, that you, the little breadcrumbs that we've we've gotten from receivers, you know, not named uh, Gavin Holmes or Ben Sims, basically, or even Monterey at this point. So, yeah, I think that uh, that Presley's your your ideal candidate. You know, and then on like the Josh Camerons and some of those other younger guys, it's still very much a work in progress, clearly. You know, like I think any thought that those guys are just going to be like impactful, you know, I think in bursts maybe, but, you know, as far as week in and week out, there's still a lot of work to do there. But Dave Aranda, one of the best quotes he probably had in the entire session with Smokey, and it was in my article, uh, was talking about why they didn't hit the transfer portal for a wide receiver. Because that's a that's an honest question. I mean, they went and got Drew Estrada and Hal Presley in the portal last year. I know Hal was more of a long term thing, but still, he did make a couple catches as a as you know an incoming transfer. And then Estrada obviously would have been a huge part if not hurt half the time. And when he was healthy enough, he got the ball. You know, at least a couple times a game. His end around was like kind of the precipice for the big score in the the Sugar Bowl for. Um, for Monterey he had a touchdown against Oklahoma State yeah had a touchdown against Oklahoma State so I mean they've they've dipped before when they felt they needed it so I was kind of curious why they didn't do that now and so I asked Smokey to ask a random like did y'all ever think about the portal like just to get kind of a gauge on how they felt about the receivers and he said they basically looked around and saw like all these like 
It's like the island of misfit toys of all these like tossed to the side, like, oh, you're injury riddled and you're too old now and you're too, you know, you're already right. tapped out. And they looked at it and they're like, but they still are talented. Like if we can just like get these guys to believe, like we've got basically our transfer portal here. Mm-hmm. They're just already on campus and they've been here for like three years. And that's basically what they're doing. Um, and that's why they've gone the route that they've gone. But in doing that, it's going to take some time to get a Josh Cameron and, you know, other guys – Armani Winfield, uh, yeah, Armani Winfield ultimately, and just kind of other young players. It takes experience and it takes time, but that's why they decided, like, rather than try to fast track this thing, they're like, let's use our old veterans that we haven't squeezed everything out of, and try to squeeze that out of them. And that's what's cool to see about uh, Gavin Holmes, for for example. Yeah, and I mean another young guy who's making an impact, but we don't talk about him much because it's mainly been in special teams. Is Jordan Neighbors? Yeah, um, he's shown some glimpses as well. So curious if he can get some reps at wide receiver. But it's a very curious question, one that you know we're both going with Hal. But if it was Gavin someone could else, be it would shock me. Yeah, Gavin could be. Gavin could be that guy. Monterey could be the guy if he's healthy. Like, yeah, easily. Um, Bearcats, which scenario do you see happening against Oak State? Reese rushes for 100, Squirrel rushes for 100, or Baldwin gets 100 receiving. Uh, Right off the top, I'm going to say Reese for me. Yeah, I'm going to say none of those happen. But if I were to pick one, it would be Richard. I don't think Squirrel will get enough carries to get 100. I I can't trust where Baldwin's at right now. Um, And he's going to probably share time with Gavin with the way Gavin's been playing. So, yeah, I guess Richard, he's probably going to get the most chances with Tay still out. Yeah, uh, I think that's the the probably safest pick to make, so that's the one I'll go with. But, yeah, all three could not happen in yeah. theory. Um, they could rush for, like, 97, and they could rush for 52. But, yeah, I think Reese will probably have the most opportunities to to do that. Um, thank you, Bearcats. Bear Coog, Central Michigan, was able to hang with OSU offensively by moving the ball for 546 yards to OSU's 531 424 of those yards came from passes. What, if anything, did you notice Central Michigan did to successfully attack OSU's secondary? Yeah, Central Michigan got down 51 to 15. That's yeah. how they were able to. I was going to say a lot of those yards were like in a, in a certain time frame. They moved the ball, but they weren't putting up points until the second half of that game. Um, you know, they were able to spread, spread some guys out. They were also able to create yak. Um, and that's big. They forced their young secondary guys to make tackles. They were unable to, and Central Michigan was able to create explosive plays off of that. So we mentioned this. I mentioned it during when we were previewing this game. You know, Baylor's going to have opportunities to take shots against this Oklahoma State secondary, especially because I think they're going to have to load the box in order to stop the run. Um, and because of that, there's going to be a lot of one-on-ones. So guys like Gavin Holmes, guys like Monterey Baldwin, Hal Presley are going to have chances to get explosive plays. Now, after they catch the ball, can they turn that 30-yard gain into a 50-yard touchdown? That's going to be an interesting question, but that's what Central Michigan was able to do. They were able to hit on some very big plays and then create yards after catch. Yeah, Central Michigan uh, just fell to uh, Penn State this past weekend, 33-14. to 14. So yeah. it's not a shabby team uh, by any stretch. They're one and three. And yeah. Penn State is currently a number 11 in the They're country. They're a good team. They're, They're a good, good team. team. But they scored 33, and Oklahoma State scored 51 through a quarter in like five minutes. So just keep in mind, I think if Oklahoma State had kept their offense out there, and if they wanted to, they probably could have hung 70 on Central Michigan. Yeah, and it's also quite possible Central Michigan's grown up a little bit in the last couple of weeks too. Possible. But, yeah, um, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, not a terrible team that uh, – 
that lined up against Oklahoma State early on. It's certainly the best team that they've played uh, to this point. Arizona State, you would think, would be that. But, again, they've already fired their head coach. Uh, so, yeah, should be uh, very interesting uh, coming up this weekend. Bear Coog, do appreciate uh, your question uh, to close things on out here with the mailbag. And uh, that will take us to our final segment of the week, which is uh, some Big 12 picks as the first full weekend gets into swing. Five games, all 10 teams in action. Last week, uh, I called it the soft opening. Uh, I guess technically that could have been the Kansas-West Virginia game a couple of weeks ago that started Big 12 play with Kansas getting a win. Um, But that was a couple weeks ago, and then last week you had three games. But now all 10 teams uh, back into conference play. So, Grace in the games this week. Yeah, full slate of Big 12 games and a slate that is just riddled with just roadblocks and landmines, you would think. I mean, so many of these games are going to be tough to pick. And just like last week, we saw some chaos. We might see it again this week. So, let's start with 11 a.m. on ABC. Oklahoma travels to Fort Worth to take on the undefeated Horn Frogs. Oklahoma's coming off the loss uh, to Kansas State at home. TCU's coming off of a big win over SMU. Uh, the line is Oklahoma by 6.5. The over-under is 67.5 points. Yeah, that seemed uh, actually kind of close to me, even though they're on the road. I don't know. I just I felt like Oklahoma might be a little bit bigger favorites because um, I'm not – entirely sold on TCU just yet. Like, I think they're pretty good, but I don't know, like, how good really they are. Um, But I'm going Oklahoma in this game. Uh, I think this is kind of like Baylor when you looked at them last week as far as, like, a big test and how they respond to adversity and that type of deal. This is that type of game for Oklahoma. Like, they have to respond in a big way here. Um, I think that they left a lot of points out on the field uh, the other night. Uh, I think they were able to move the ball effectively, but they just couldn't punch it through. Had a lot of self-inflicted wounds, uh, penalties on offense. And, you know, we we know that offense, man, when they start to get those penalties piling up and you kind of get off track a little bit and you're not able to just, you know, keep pouring in points, it can get kind of wonky on you, and it did against Kansas State. So I think that they correct some of that. Um, I don't really know what to expect totally from TCU. I do think that perhaps they fell their way into having the best quarterback for this season, which is Max Duggan. Uh, That works out better for them ultimately. Um, But, yeah, it should be an interesting game. But I'm going to go with Oklahoma bouncing back. Yeah, I'm curious how Oklahoma responds after facing a really athletic, good, mobile quarterback in Adrian Martinez. And now you're facing another very athletic, big, strong quarterback in Max Duggan. So I'm curious how they adjust from last week's matchup against Kansas State. I like Oklahoma, though. I think their offense is really good. I don't think TCU's defense is good at all. I I really don't. I think most teams in the Big 12 are going to score 30-something on them. Um, And so, yeah, I like the Sooners to win this one in a big bounce back, like you mentioned. I got them 37-30. to I do think it will be close. I think the Sooners get the big win. Next game on the agenda is the feel-good matchup between Texas Tech and Kansas State. The Red Raiders are traveling to Manhattan to take on uh, the Wildcats. Tech coming off the big win over Texas and Kansas State coming off the big win over Oklahoma. So both teams, like I said, feeling really good about themselves right now. Yeah, that was a heck of a win for both. Uh, K-State, I mean, that was that was bullying. That was just kind of beating up on Oklahoma in, in certain ways. Um and that was a special showing from Adrian Martinez. Uh, for Texas Tech, uh, they couldn't rewrite that and run that back even if they wanted to. That was uh, just a very um, – I hate the word lucky because that kind of belittles the effort, but there was some luck involved when you're you as successful as they were on fourth downs because that's just going to be a really hard thing for them to replicate. 
Um, but if they can do it to some modicum of success, and that certainly appears to be the style that they're going to play, um, then that's yeah, it's going to give a lot of teams fits when they're effective. I just have a hard time seeing them being as effective a second week in a row. Um, and maybe they're not as as crazy in going for it as much in this game, but um, give me Kansas State at, at home. I think that uh, you know Tech has won all their games at home so far. The one time they went on the road against NC State, that's a good team, uh, but that was their only loss. So I do think not having that Jones crowd behind them will have some impact. Uh, but, man, they're playing with a lot of confidence, and they just believe, and that's a powerful drug right now. But, yeah, give me K-State um, at home. I think they're just going to be able to run the football and, and and not allow Texas Tech to basically play keep away the the entire game like they were able to do against Texas for a large part. Yeah, Tech had seven turnovers the two weeks prior to the Texas game, and then they won the turnover Donovan battle Smith played two well. to zero. Yeah. So that's key, um, but they're going on the road. They're an eight-point underdog, and I think Kansas State is going to beat them up a little bit. Donovan I, Smith had a great game, he did. to your point, whereas, yes, he had had a bunch of turnovers, like to the point where had he thrown like a pick or two early on that game, they might have benched him. Morton would have come in. Yeah, yeah because sure. it was getting out of hand, and that was costing them. And so, yeah, it was the combination of just ridiculous fourth quarter, fourth down efficiency and Donovan Smith playing a great game yeah. and Texas had no business losing that game. They really no. didn't. That was an awful awful but loss Tech for the Tech ran 100 plays and Texas only ran 60. Yep. So that's a huge impact like you said Keep the away. conversions were huge. And so I like K-State in this one. I'm going to take them 34 to 20. I think they get the job done in Manhattan. Good for Joey though. Yeah, definitely good for Joey McGuire there at Texas Tech. Next on the list, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN2, Iowa State travels to take on the undefeated Kansas Jayhawks. This game is in Lawrence. Iowa State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 57-and-a-half. Who you got? Uh, I'm going Iowa State here, much for the reason that I laid out with Oklahoma as far as the bounce back and kind of the gut check thing. Um, I think that this is a major gut check for Iowa State. Kansas is very good. Jalen Daniels is exceptionally exciting at the moment and yes deserves the pre-Heisman build and you know they deserve to be in the top 25 although the argument then becomes like who do you leave out and that's where it gets kind of tricky because it's kind of a crowded field right now but they deserve to be getting some love and being the top 25 somewhere I think that's ridiculous if they had an SEC logo they'd be you know top 20 without a without question but uh, give me Iowa State here to bounce back um, I don't know exactly how but I just think that this is, like I said, a gut check for them. And um, I think Kansas has been a great story. And they very well may prove me wrong again. But I just there's part of me that just feels like Iowa State's going to kind of end the end the uh, the dream scenario early on this season. Yeah, and I'm so unhappy that Kansas didn't get ranked. This was their chance yep. for the first time since 2009. And now they got this game, then TCU. Then they go on the road to Oklahoma and Baylor back-to-back weeks. Like, there's a chance in a couple weeks they're 4-4 four and four or 5-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's super unfortunate because this was their chance to be ranked. And unfortunately, the votes didn't go their way. Um, this is the first top 25 defense that they're playing this year. They If face- you gave Vanderbilt, I'm sorry, but if you gave Vanderbilt their resume Vanderbilt would be ranked yeah without even be. a question about it and that's that's what ticks me off but I yes mean, go ahead so. yeah A&M would be top 10 oh yeah resume yeah. so um yeah so Iowa State 17th in the country in scoring defense the other teams that Kansas has played are Duke which is 40th West Virginia 85th and Houston 116th so they've taken advantage of some pretty bad defenses that will not be the case in this one I like Iowa State 
I think this is going to be a pretty good game. But overall, I think the Cyclones are, you know, unfortunately for Kansas, just the better team. Um, and they're coming off of a loss, which I think is key. So I like Iowa State 31-21 to 21 as they get the job done in Lawrence. Next game up at 6.30 p.m. at night on FS1. West Virginia travels to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns. West Virginia coming off the win over Virginia Tech on the road. Texas coming off the loss to Texas Tech. Current line, Texas is 10-point favorite. So this is actually gone up from 9.5 earlier this morning, and the over-under is 62 points. They really need Quinn Ewers back uh, just to kind of give them a jolt of excitement. Um, I don't even mean to, like, win them games necessarily, but just to kind of give them a little something feel good. <laughs> because do you think he comes back this week, or do they wait till Oklahoma next week? I think they wait till Oklahoma probably. Yeah. But I think that if there's a moment where, I mean, if he's available and they, you know, get off to a wonky start here, maybe you have to – to call an audible there, but yeah, I think I definitely think this is building up for him to have like the grand return against Oklahoma. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they should have won that game against Tech. That was just a that was a bad loss, man. Again, and and look, you give Tech a lot of credit for you know running way more plays and keeping the ball and converting on fourth down over and over, and and then just getting some turnovers late. Like Texas had an exceptional drive to um, what was it to. To tie, tie or take yeah to tie, tie yeah. there at the at the end. I mean that was they had no business scoring as fast as they did. Um, so it was kind of like ball don't lie, and eventually Tech you know responded in kind. But that Bijan fumble right at the beginning of overtime just I don't know man that was just an all bad scenario. So anyways, uh, I'm gonna give Texas a, a the uh, the bounce back win here. It seems to be a common theme uh, in this in this week's picks. But uh, while I do like what West Virginia is doing, and I do see where. Their line could maybe give uh, UT a little fit here and there. Uh, give me the Longhorns to, to bounce back. I don't think they're a bad team. Like everybody's ready to just like cut their throat and discard them as though they're they're over with. Um, I think all it takes is getting Ewers back, and they're going to be a problem like real quick. And and I think they're still going to be a problem for for some teams. Uh, I just think that they were on the rotten end of some bad breaks last week. So yeah, give me Texas over West Virginia, but I'm very curious to see how feisty the Mountaineers are because they finally got some win in their blood and they played a tough schedule. So don't sleep on them by any means. I am nervous for Texas about this one. Yeah, I don't think it's a gimme. I don't think it's a gimme necessarily. I think this is a trap spot. I know they just beat Tech, but unlike... They just can't lose this game, dude. But unlike the previous ones, they got Oklahoma next week. I know they can't lose this game, though. They can't. But I think they might. I, I'm I'm torn on this game. I do think West Virginia is going to cover, though. Ten points to a team without Quinn Ewers? Whew. I think they're covering that. I think they're going to be... This is going to be a one-possession game in my eyes. And West Virginia has shown this year they're pretty capable. Like, every game they've mm-hmm. played in has been close or they've won. And so, I, I just... I think this game's going to be close. I'll give the nod to Texas barely. I, I think... I was talking to the guys this before we started the show, and I, I'm very concerned that Texas is going to lose this game. But for now, I'll give it to the Longhorns. I still think that they're just a little bit better than West Virginia. But I think final score will be something like 33-30. to 30. I think West Virginia is going to give them all they can handle and, and maybe come up with the win. Yeah, Texas doesn't really deserve to be in the top 25 right now, but it's that Alabama shine. The th- same thing that doesn't They're trans- not in there right now. Oh, they're, oh that's mm. right. They just fell out. They, oh, I would have been raised. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I was thinking they were still in there, but no, they did fall out. But I think if you would have given them Kansas's resume, they oh. would clearly be in the top 25. They'd be in the top 10. Yeah, and, and that's what's so ridiculous about the rankings when you start to break them down. So that could be for an entire 
entire one hour episode all on its own, but that's yeah. that's sort of where the the biases are so clear and uh, and how this thing's sort of set up. Um, but yeah, uh, I understand the reason for concern. Um, I also think that they are a team that you know, is very capable in that. It's just been a weird deal with the injury with Ewers and just kind of how that worked. And that game last week was just that, – that was there for the taking. And, um, and again, credit to Tech, but also some self-inflicted wounds. So, yeah, I'm very interested to see how they respond to all of that because um, if they lose this week, man, it's, that's bad news for, for that program. I mean, that's, that's going to be real bad. So that's why I'm thinking we're not going to see that because that would be too perfect, actually. We'll see. We'll see. I'm torn. I'm not going to be mad if we no. do. <laughs> Believe me, I'll be the least upset if we do see that. But I'm just, I, I guess I'm trying to uh, almost talk it into existence by, by not believing it will happen. Well, we'll see on Saturday Reverse night psychology. Yeah, definitely. So the final game on the slate, 2.30 p.m. on Fox. Uh, Oklahoma State, the number nine team in the nation, travels to McLean Stadium to take on the Baylor Bears, who are number 16 in the country. Baylor is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 56-and-a-half. Yeah, give me Baylor. Um, I'll go with the the Bears at home. Uh, I don't know what I would do if this was in Stillwater. I'm not sure how much that would, you know, perhaps change my mind. But I do like that it's in Waco. Like what I saw last week, and I think Oklahoma State's a good team, and Spencer Sanders is always dangerous. But uh, no, give me the Bears. I, I like that Shapin kind of hit his stride last week, and um, I expect just a physical, nasty game with some big explosive plays, um, you know, from both sides. But, yeah, give me the Bears. Yeah, Oklahoma State's played no one this year, and I think they're going to be a little bit shell-shocked by the team that they're about to face. They also haven't played away from Stillwater yet. That's going to be a problem as well and a big factor. Um, I know they're coming off of a bye, but you can't game plan for going on the road. You can't game plan for having a young defense that's having to go on the road, and you can't game plan for seeing a totally different different defensive and offensive line than they've gotten to see in their first three games of the season. I think Baylor's just more tested. I think they're more ready for this game than Oklahoma State is. For that reason, I, I like the Bears to win this one fairly soundly. Uh, I think they're going to win at 33-24, um, and I feel pretty good about Baylor's chances. And if they do win this game, get to 2-0 and in the Big 12, 4-1 and overall, they're going to be seeing in a really, really nice place to make another run at a Big 12 championship. Yeah, I, I feel great after seeing last week's result. Uh, that, that just had me kind of uh, calm any fears I had or any questions I had. I mean, I still have questions. I think we all still have questions, but it just made me feel a lot better about the direction uh, or at least the where they were in the process. Um, so, yeah, I feel good about this weekend. Uh, obviously remains to be seen, um, but I think there's a great opportunity in front of Baylor, and I'm like you, if they can win this weekend, then – could get really fun really quickly um so that was that was how big going to Ames and getting a W was is that you can kind of now look at it from a you know a, a different perspective of all right let's see how special this thing can, can get uh, and how quickly and uh big opportunity right out of the gates uh right afterwards with Oak State now at home so should be a lot of fun uh Grayson anything before we go this week no just as always if you're not a Sikkim 365 premium subscriber please Become one. We have great content every week on football, basketball, recruiting, everything you could want. We cover every sport. So uh, keep an eye on that. And of course, uh, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, 365 Sports Radio on YouTube, as well as another great place to get all kinds of insight uh, on college football and the things alike. Also, be sure to check out Crystal Ball College Football. I'm doing a lot of college football content on that YouTube site as well. Uh, both really good sources to learn more about college football and just hear more about your favorite teams and everything. Everything like that. 
Yep, if you want to support, definitely uh, subscribe. Be a premium member of Sikkim365.com or uh, subscribe uh, on YouTube channels and support that way as well. Every little bit counts. So we do thank all of those uh, of you who have already done so and appreciate those of you who will do so as well. And just appreciate all of those uh, all those of you who listen uh, in general. Uh, it does uh, mean quite a bit, your support. So thank you for that. Thanks to uh, Jacob and Garrett behind the scenes as well. And thanks to Grayson Grunhafer. Until next time, uh, next week, we'll be back uh, talking Oak State and then previewing what's next and all the news and headlines that, that comes with uh, whatever unfolds over the next few days. But uh, until then, uh, Oklahoma State up next for the Baylor Bears. They continue on conference play. And uh, we'll have all the coverage from McLean Stadium this Saturday. And uh, all in the buildup and the fallout uh, all over on Sikkim365.com as well. Until next time, this has been the BearCast on 365 Sports.